Hello and welcome to another At The Flicks podcast. Our regular listeners will know that we often talk about the rise of movie streaming services such as Netflix and the impact these services are having on traditional cinema. In this episode, we take a much closer look at this controversial subject. To help us with this investigation, we enlisted the aid of a couple of special guests. Over to you, Jeff, to introduce the show. Hello, and welcome to Phil's Look at the Movies. In this episode, we're going to be discussing cinema versus streaming, one of our big themes of the year. Now, as well as having Phil here, I'm very pleased to announce a special guest to this episode who has some very interesting and informative views on this subject. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Evening, guys. And thanks for having me. Any time. So let's just set the scene then. Now, in the 1980s, cinema was threatened by the rise of video, except, as it turned out, it complemented cinema and audiences increased. Now, the last 12 years, we've seen the rise of Netflix and Amazon Prime, along with other streaming companies, and it's recently been announced that Disney has thrown their hat into that ring as well. Now, what's different this time is they create their own content, TV shows and films. Is this a threat to cinema, or do you see it working hand-in-hand with cinema like video did? As our guest, I'll throw open to you first, Paul. I honestly think it depends how cinema handles it. And I think this is a, for me, this is a a one-sided fight. My views are that if cinema fights it, it's not a battle it can win. If cinema goes with it, there are opportunities there that could help it. Okay. Phil? I think it's both a threat and an opportunity. So I think what Paul just said there is probably right because if it uses it to its advantage, it's a good thing because we all like films and it just means there's other avenues that films will get made from. So we get to see more different things. I think my biggest concern will be if it results in less people going to the cinema as a result, and I think what you just said about video is is the key because people thought that that would be the case with video. My sort of biggest concern that we've seen over the last year or two is that a lot of really talented directors, you know, after one or two films, haven't been able to get another film out in the cinema and they go to streaming companies because they can finance a sort of medium budget film without worrying about the, the return on investment so much. You got any examples of that? Well, I mean, so last year we had really talented directors like uh, Duncan Jones, who did Moon. He came out and did Mute on Netflix. And we had Gareth Evans, who did The Raid, had The Apostle come out on Netflix. And Jeremy Saulnier, who did Blue Ruin and Green Room, and he did the first couple of episodes of the latest series of True Detective. His most recent film, Hold the Dark, was a Netflix film as well. So they're all directors who I think are really unique, interesting. And actually, uh, another one, J.C. Chandle, just had Triple Frontier. He did did A Violent Year, All Is Lost and Margin Call. So they're all really interesting, new up-and-coming directors, only made sort of somewhere between sort of one to five films each. I would have liked to have seen most of those on the big screen, but all of those directors found their next sort of film on Netflix rather than getting big budget to go out to the cinema. I think the other one is, and I'm sure it'll be in, in Graham's area, is is Mark Miller, exclusive with Netflix. So kick-ass, everything else he's done. So I think he's looking to do some smaller, harder stuff, yeah, um, harder than the stuff that they've done so far, and just can't get it through the cinema gates. With Netflix, he's seeing their appetite for the sort of slightly harder R-rated is actually a route forward. And you see him doing that as TV series or... As a film, so to speak. I think Netflix like them doing both. Yeah. Um, I could actually see some of those things being series. But actually, I think, given that, I think what you'll see is films and series coming off the back of that. There is a, a route forward, I think, with Netflix where they are attracted to some of the harder edge stuff. And I think that sits quite nicely with some of the comic book stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think that another problem is distributors. You know, distributors will shy away from things that I think Netflix doesn't. And also there's the combination of, yeah, we like we like your film, we let you do your film, but how would you like to do a series? And I think that's a huge incentive for serious filmmakers who want to just make more films and they'll do a series. So it's a really interesting time. And I think as we've talked about before, Jeff, I think some of the plot 
storylines and things you can take on over 12 episodes, the depth you can get to, I think, significant in some of those spaces. Certainly, I mean, Neil talks a bit about sex education and that first episode. It goes further than probably terrestrial TV would be able to go. It does, and, and but I think we'll see that more with films. Yeah. Um, I think think we'll see more in that space. I mean, if you look at that first episode of Sex Education, there is absolutely no way that would have hit television. Not even old Channel 5 no. would have picked up that kind of level. Yeah. But look at the success they've had with it. And I'm sure Netflix are looking at that and saying there's a market in that space as well. I'm really interested to see what they see and what they get out of the sort of harder-edge comic book stuff, though. Jumping on from that, and Phil, bring you into this because it's something you've mentioned in the past. Netflix go for harder-edge documentaries than you find elsewhere, and you've spoken in the past about the Ted Bundy show. So how hard... I haven't seen it. So how hard-edged was that? Um, in terms of... Yeah, what they visibly show you, there's there's nothing in terms of gruesomeness in terms of what they show, but in terms of the detail that they go to, it is quite, well, certainly turned my stomach in places. But I don't think it's something you wouldn't have seen on the, you know, like a Channel 4 um, documentary late at night. I mean, the probably the most recent documentary I saw on Netflix is probably the furthest sort of from hard-hitting, which was that Flat Earth documentary. Um oh. Beyond the curve or behind the curve yeah. or whatever it's called. It was absolutely yeah, fantastic. Like that, yeah. Why do you that, give that, airtime to nutters like that? Anyway, that's another question. Another time, sorry. <laughs> no, but that was that was a good documentary. But And actually, documentary films kind of go into what Graham just said about distributors because there's a lot of really good documentary films that get made and will have limited cinema releases, but distributors won't have the stomach for a wide release and streaming services pick those up so i'm pretty certain there's a lot of like google lists you know if you google like top 50 documentaries on netflix there'd probably you know, be a huge swathe of things on there that had limited film releases and netflix just pick those up what i'm interested in where this conversation's going already is i'm starting to see this less as a threat for cinema than for other TV companies, whether it's your cable skies or your terrestrial Channel 4s and IDVs? Yeah, I, I gave that some thought earlier this weekend, actually, when we talk, you mentioned about the Disney pricing coming out and having a look at that. Sky, I think, are the ones that are probably biggest at risk in terms yep. of the television space. I mean, we were recently paying 120 quid a month, probably, for Sky. If you look at Netflix pricing, you look at you add that to Disney, you add that to Amazon, you add that to Apple... You get all four of them for about 35 quid a month. Mm. So I don't think yeah. <laughs> people are going to be in a choose space with those. I actually think it isn't Disney competing with Netflix and Netflix competing with Apple. I actually think the issue is, is you can take all four of those subscription channels for less than the price of one with Sky. And I think also, we, we're just at the start of this, I think the next thing that's going to happen is your ISP are going to phone you up and say, hey, would you like to join BT? And we'll give you, in the price of your subscription, Disney and, and Netflix and all of these. You know, I'm already getting Netflix through my Virgin Media Box, which is my, Virgin's my ISP, and I think they're going to start bundling all of this stuff because it's pretty cheap, 35 quid on top of what you're paying for your broadband. And, and added to that... Um my three mobile phone account, I don't get charged for any data that's Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Same here. Yeah, that's clever. Phil, you were going to say something? Well, yeah. So what I was going to say is that I'd actually been trying to persuade my wife that as soon as Game of Thrones finishes, that we're dropping Sky because we're paying, like, even for the most basic Sky package, it's about £35 a month. And like Paul just said, Depending on which version of Netflix you get, like the most expensive is nine ninety nine, the cheapest is five ninety nine. Add that to your Amazon Prime. You know, if if we had Disney Plus and Amazon, that's still cheaper than getting Sky. And all that Sky has on it essentially is a few sort of HBO shows on Sky Atlantic. And HBO is coming to Apple uh, shortly. And um, actually, you can get Now TV for six nine nine a month anyway, and that has all the box sets. Yeah, so that's how I'm watching Game of Thrones through now on my Apple TV. 
Yeah, because so I, I was talking to my brother and saying what um, someone needs to do, and I'm sure it's out there, essentially when you get your, buy your smart TV or you get an app on it, that you can just go into one place. You type in your subscriptions for your Amazon, your Netflix and what have you, so that you can just find it in one location rather than having to come out of one app and go into a different app. And that's what Apple are doing. So Apple are now putting out their, you can get Apple TV on smart TVs and they want to be the central hub so they can sell you more stuff, obviously. But Apple want to be your central entertainment hub, so they will do that for you. Although Disney have already said they they want a separate app. Okay. So I'm still seeing the biggest threat here, TV system, not cinema at the moment. Let's just take this in a slightly different direction. You've got a number of big directors starting to make films here. You've got Caron making Roma, Scorsese making The Irishman. Yeah. How is that going to impact on cinema? For me, it's I think it's going to change the face of cinema rather than kill cinema. So when I think of like streaming service versus cinema, it's about the cinema experience versus the availability. I get quite frustrated living on the South Coast that I can't go and see a lot of sort of more niche independent films because they're only showing at like London or Birmingham or Manchester. And if I then think, well, if I'm frustrated on the South Coast, what do people who live in Cornwall or Devon or west of Wales or what have you, you know, they're going to have a much more limited experience of what's on at the cinema and how far away their cinema is. So the streaming service kind of democratises who can watch what because anyone pretty much can have that availability. And what I think that that sort of pushes towards when you talk about these prestige films from the likes of Scorsese and Quaron, they're kind of your, uh, your middle budget films that big cinephiles want to watch but aren't necessarily going to turn a huge profit, is that what you're going to see is that your cinema is going to have, as we've already started to see, all year round massive blockbusters, cost a lot of money to make, but they want to turn a huge margin on. And like the occasional sort of lower budget, you know, you can have kids films at holidays and all those sort of things. Those middle ground films that distributors don't want to take a bet on are going to end up on streaming services. And really, then it's just a question of Roma was only shown at the Curzon cinemas, which I think has got about a handful of location, none near me. I suspect the Irishman might get a similar sort of situation. So I think that people like me are going to get really frustrated with that because I want to go and see films at the cinema because I think that's the best experience. But, you know, that's just the way that things seem to be going in terms of that middle budget sort of film not being bankable enough and Annihilation is a really good example of that a really great film distributor kind of just decided that they weren't quite sure it was going to do it for them and they dropped it I think you're right Phil I think the challenge for cinema is for the first time in a long time probably since video is going to have to have a look at how it provides its services so we just talked about streaming services at $5.99 a month $6.99 a month $7.99 a month Mm probably around the table and across the ether to fill everyone would probably say those are incredible value for money and i'm not advertising for any one of them but if you look at what you get how much does it cost me to go and see the latest melissa mccarthy film at the cinema yeah what you mean emotionally (laughs) (laughs) but i think i think the thing is is some of the learns and as you know my background i'm coming more from the music industry side of things and i've seen this battle previously I've seen this battle with Spotify and with the, the sort of almost the the stream delivery of that exponent. I think cinema has to look at what it's delivering. Why why does it charge me the same amount of money to go and see Avengers as it charges me to go and see Melissa McCarthy's films? Why does it charge me the same amount of money if I go at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night compared to if I go at 7 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon? I think cinema, if there's one big learn in it for me, it's, it's, it's got to start thinking about the social world. It's got to start adapting things like social pricing, which is something it doesn't really tackle at the moment. It's got to stop delivering crap films and charging premium rate for them. Yeah. It's got to move away from some of those things to make it compete. And music's had to do that already. I get what you say, Phil, about the best experience. And without a doubt, the best experience is going to the cinema. I would have absolutely no argument with that. In the same way as the best experience of listening to music 
is in my music room at home with my big speakers and my expensive stereo. But interestingly, my kids don't own stereos. They listen to their music in poor quality. They listen to it on Spotify. They listen to more music now than I ever listened to because it's so accessible to them. And whilst we will all go to the cinema, and I think we will continue to go to the cinema, they won't. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I do feel, I'd like to think that I'm not that old, but I think that's exactly right because all of my nephews will perfectly be happy to sit and watch film on their phone. It does not bother them at all. So it's almost like what I'm pining for and worried about is just, you know, it's just the times moving on. And and interestingly, Netflix are saying by the end of this year, more Netflix programmes and films will be watched on mobile phones than are watched on televisions. So it it kind of shows you that the experience that we all kind of hang on to, (laughs) how important is that long term? Because I've seen this, like I said, I've seen it in music, I've seen people listening, I do it myself, listen to poor quality, streaming, because it's convenient. Sit in my car, listen to it, sit at home and listen to it. There are times when I listen to music on my phone when I could walk to another room and listen to it in much better quality, but I'm already in that mindset. My kids don't go to the cinema. Even if we say to them now, do you want to come to the cinema with us? They say, more often than not, I've already seen that. So given that, and given his controversial comments recently, do you think Spielberg has a point? No. Yeah. Yeah, well, Spielberg was just talking... He, Spielberg's specifically talking about TV, though, isn't he? Essentially what he's saying is there's awards for TV called the Emmys... That's a film made for TV, so it belongs in the Emmys. That's kind of how I interpret his statement. I'd almost argue, does that mean that we need to rethink our... If we want to have these award ceremonies, do you need Oscars as theatrical and Emmys as standard television? And you need something in the middle for streaming. Because streaming, putting far more money into things than the likes of NBC and CBS and all those sort of people who make normal TV and inverted commas... But don't you think the whole films made for TV, films made for cinema, that really gets to me, as you know, Jeff. Yeah. I, I'm completely anti that. To me, it's films. The award is for films. If, for instance, you have awards for films made for TV separated from films made for cinema, what is the best film of the year? Mm, Who yeah. is the best director? What is the best soundtrack? Yeah. And, and actually, I think that's where the problem comes in trying to separate these things out. You know, you you can't do that and actually maintain the kudos and the the kind of premiership of doing that. I I think another thing that's changed is TVs. So back in the 70s and 80s, when you had made-for-TV films, they were made for a 4-3 ratio. Now, you've got widescreen ratio. Nobody has 4-3 TVs anymore. I was going to say, it's just, it's more protectionism though, isn't it? Spielberg, it's his, I know he's obviously rich beyond all compare, but it's still his job and his industry and he's trying to you know, protect it, whether it's in the right way or not. I think that's what he's doing. But I agree with you, you know, if you look at Roma, whether you think it's dull or not, which I think is what you said, Jeff. Oh yeah, uh, i got to go back and try it again. It, 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 really looks, should. It, it looks stunning and you know I, i've got a few friends who've got projectors on their ceilings and surround sound speakers so you know you've got a big enough room a big enough wall you can almost recreate that cinema experience staying with steven spielberg paul you were saying that part of the problem here is he's saying this on the one hand but supporting apple tv on the other to be honest i would have had i would have given more over to his point had he not done that I was already against his point anyway. To then come out literally two weeks later and say, I'm I'm working with the enemy. I mean, to me, that's just a no. You just yeah. do not do that. Certainly in business, you shouldn't do that. But I, whilst I think that grates, I think the issue, the, my main issue with it is the separation thing. My main issue is it is that do you then have almost a, a kind of an aggregated best film where you have the best cinema film go up against the best TV film to see which is the best film? All you're going to do is generate another set of awards, pretty much, aren't you? But to me, best film is best film. It doesn't matter. It, it's never mattered where no. it came from. No. And best actors, best actor, and however it might go. I just don't see what they're going to get from it. I, to me, that whole thing stinks of the kind of cinema king canute you know if so we'll push it away we'll push it away we'll push it away and it might never happen i think for me the key to it is working with it that's what i've seen in music as you know i saw 
Napster come through. Metallica tried to kick really hard against Napster and fight it. Metallica you know, ended you know up being the exactly bad guys. That's exactly what was going through my head. Yeah. <laughs> it was Metallica and Napster. But, but, but they came out of that field looking like absolute idiots. Mm. Um, and and wait six or seven years, and their stuff is all available through streaming, and they've they've kind of backtracked on everything, and actually lost an awful lot of credit as a result of it. I think that yeah. cinema is doing the same thing. You can't play this game anymore. You can't do the kind of sit there in your big chair and push the waves away. I think the music industry has woken up a, a way ahead of of the movie industry because you know I'm a huge uh, Spotify nut. You know, I, I spend every waking be. hour. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I grew up in Northern Ireland. We never had live bands come and see us. Because everybody in Northern Ireland during the 70s had massive record collections because you'd go around your mate's house and that's all you would do because you couldn't go out anywhere. You couldn't go to the cinema, you couldn't go to the theatre. It was shite. But I can get the Beatles, I can get the Stones, I can get the Zeppelin, I can get Radiohead now have even caved in. You know, everything's on there. And I think the music industry is way ahead. And I think Spielberg is doing the King Canute thing. I think he's trying to, by the power of my voice, I shall turn back the inevitable. No, actually, it won't, Stephen, because this is going to happen whether you like it or not. And we would have had a better Best Picture winner as well if he hadn't have done it. No, no, no. I, I, I think the right film won Best Picture. I think your prejudice is showing there, Phil. I think the other thing, though, the other really interesting point, and I think I actually think music does give a fantastic learn to cinema in this. Why not use what's already been learned and failed? And, and I think what you have seen with music is a huge rise in independent music again. Mm. As a result, you don't need a big record company behind you. Now, you look at the link between YouTube music and those things ending up at number one and number two in the charts now. Small budget, creative in terms of, I might not like them, but creative in terms of what they're doing. That's then feeding onto an energised live scene in smaller clubs and stuff like that. So actually, the independence thing is coming back around again. It might not be punk, today's generation's version of punk. Yeah. But do you think, and, and staying on this point before we go back into the streaming, but Taking YouTube, you've got all these restrictions that Europe are just about to put in. Is that going to knock that back? Once again, I don't really see what's the gain from it. All that will happen is that channel won't deliver them. The people are still going to go and find them. You know, people will still find these things. YouTube will morph into being something else. You know, kids will go somewhere else and find them. So I don't think it matters. My kids, shouldn't say this, my kids will watch most movies on streaming sites. Mm. They're, they're not the sites that, you know, they're not Netflix, they're not Amazon, but yeah. they're happy that they will watch them on these things. Mine too, yeah. Yeah, and they, they just they just do it. You can't stop them. You can't tell people not to do those things. No, but it comes back to what you were saying about music. You're not watching it in the best conditions. It might be that you've got somebody's head in the way of it. because it might... They're worried. Yeah, and, and that's a fair point. But it's still frustrating. You're not seeing it in the best of but conditions. But how much of a premium do you pay to see it in the best conditions? You were with me a few weeks ago, you know, where a friend of mine said his friend and two kids went to see the latest animated thing. Cost them 60 quid mm, yeah. to go and see it. You add a couple of bags of popcorn to that and you're looking at 100 quid to go and see it. Well, <laughs> how much will people pay that premium for? Now, we'll probably pay the premium to have the big screen and everything else. All I'm saying is, it's going to make me sound old, the younger generation simply don't care. Yeah, it's, They've learned that with music. The environment's not the important thing convenience is far more important to them there's an interesting rabbit hole i was going to say on cinema pricing though because i think we talked about this before jeff about cinema pricing and stuff because i never pay full price ever for anything and it's like i know full well that if unlimited cards didn't exist and if voucher codes didn't exist so you know i take my kids to the cinema a lot just because it's part of my obsession but I never pay full price for them. I always go and find those bulk voucher codes you can buy. So, you know, as an example, I took my kids to see Missing Link. My wife and I have got unlimited cards. I think I paid about £7 per child using those voucher codes. And there's a Tesco five minutes from the cinema. So we went in there and bought a couple of drinks and some popcorn and just put it in a bag and go in. So I know that's, you know, not helping, you know, the cinema's profit margins, but I can take my kids to the cinema and have some drinks and stuff for less than 20 quid. But 
Paul's right. If I did that the normal, proper way, you know, I'd never go to the cinema as often as I do. It just would not happen at all. Have, have you got a view near you, Phil? About 10 miles away, yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I ask that is they seem to have pricing models in there. So we've got the local one here in Stroud. That's three ninety nine for any film on a Monday. So as you were saying, Paul, about, you know, when's your optimum times? Well, your weekend clearly is your premium times. But Monday, Tuesday might be a bit yeah, quieter. I think so social pricing is, is something that society demands now. It's like your unlimited cards. I get the unlimited card. But if I'm paying for an unlimited card, why can't I share that around my family? You know, if I'm not going to the cinema, why can't my son use it? Why can't my daughter use it? I'd, I'd happily pay it a premium on the unlimited card. But, but cinema says, no, no, you can't do that. You all have to have one each. And therefore, we don't buy them. And that's where another one where Netflix has got the advantage. You can have four people. Four yeah. accounts on one. Yeah, exactly. Well, when you say about the pricing model, the Odeon cinema that's near me, which is where I used to work when I was a teenager in my early 20s, they clearly are struggling because it's an old cinema that's you know, a bit out of date. And they've actually changed their prices. I'm pretty sure it's four ninety nine or five ninety nine any film, any time. It doesn't matter. And that's because... They now have a view cinema, a real cinema and a, and a cine world all within striking distance of them. And it's an older cinema and it can't quite compete. So their way of doing it is saying, actually, you can come to us and it's five or six quid no matter what to go and watch it. I still won't go there because <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit further away and it hasn't really changed much since I worked there 20 years or so ago. And that's a, that's a great point, actually, Phil, is that it hasn't changed much since you worked there 20 years ago. If we all look back 20 years and look at how much everything else we've done has changed and how much every other organisation that we use has changed, is it right that cinemas stayed the same? No, it's, it's a, a, another example is I went to a cine world a bit further afield from me because obviously I'm tied in, unlimited card, and I went to see The Sisters Brothers, which is a, a great little Western, interesting, unique film. I had to go a distance to see it because it's a more limited release, which is what I was talking about with this democratisation of streaming. And the screen that it was in had a tear in the top right-hand corner. There was like almost like a puddle where the light was hitting this sort of bulge where it had been torn. And it was just really frustrating because I kept seeing it out of the corner of my eye. Like every time there was like a bright blue sky, I just saw this puddle. And had I not had an unlimited card, I'd be paying 13 quid or so to watch that in a cinema that they can't even be bothered to sort the, the screen out on. It's, it's terrible. And that's another interesting point is while we're getting much more technically savvy with Amazon Prime and Netflix cinemas seem to be regressing. There's no projectionists anymore. Staff seem to be able to do, you know, a multitude of basic jobs, but nothing specialised. I can tell the staff in my local cinema how to sort things out on their projector better than they know, because I used to do it 20 years ago. They literally just tear tickets and sell food. I probably get complaints now because I'm probably doing them a disservice. As far as I understand it now, those projectors are literally a case of you call up a service desk and say it's not working. When I went to see Shazam, an unlimited screening, it took them an hour and 20 minutes to get the film. So it was meant to start at eight. I think it started about half nine or something like that. They kept coming in every 20 minutes going, really, really sorry. And it sounded to me like they hadn't actually downloaded the film onto the hard drive and they therefore couldn't get it to play. Yeah, I probably could have downloaded it quicker off of a streaming service if I was at home. The amazing thing with cinema, though, and I guess preaching to the converted, I love going to the cinema. Mm. I would go to the cinema over watch a film at home. That's, that's a given. I think we all would. I think we allow cinema far more than we would allow any other service yes. in terms of the delivery, and that's because it's something that we want to work. And I guess that's the thing I'm getting is in this whole sort of streaming versus cinema, I don't want to see a winner out of that because if there is a winner there will only be one winner out of the back of it. So I don't want to see a winner. So as a result, I really do want cinema to kind of take it and up its game in terms of what it's doing. And, you know, there are so many things it could be doing. The lack of independent films in cinemas, the lack of using some of those smaller screens really, really proactively to try and do something, whether it's local films, small independent films, yeah. small run. Dare I say even some of the sort of R-rated, harder edge films that they don't want on general release. 
cinemas need to start thinking about how they use the love that they've got yeah. in the right way. Because I don't think anyone wants cinemas to disappear. I think the big thing is, is the fear that they might. Yes. Definitely. I think what would be great is some of these, you know, so I talked about Jeremy Saulnier's Hold the Dark. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but I thought it was a really good, interesting film. The sort of film that I would have loved to have seen at the cinema. Now, there's no reason why Netflix can't release that at some cinemas at the same time as they launch it on Netflix because I'll go to the cinema and watch it. Everyone else can watch it streaming if they want to. But, you know, cinemas would see that as a threat, I think. You know, this whole day and date release on streaming and cinema, how many times have you actually seen that where it's in more than, like, two cinemas in London? Yeah, yeah, well, the Sky model at the moment with their Sky Cinema when they're they're jointly releasing these films, and I don't know where they're jointly releasing them. I've never seen anything anywhere near here. I think that's because cinemas don't want to show those films because they don't think that they'll make any money because everyone can just watch it on the streaming service. And that's another thing that's probably going to happen here is that window between opening in cinemas and coming onto streaming services or even Blu-ray and DVD, if they're still around, is going to become shorter and shorter. Well, it's only about four months till something's on Blu-ray these days, isn't it? But I think, I think cinemas got the in because I think the big blockbusters, everyone's going to go to the cinema and see them. You want to go to the cinema. The cinemas are packed, those kind of things. I think what I'm getting bored with at the moment a little bit is the kind of sequels, remakes, blockbusters. The summer that, season. That kind of, yeah, but it's like a, the summer season all year round at the moment, isn't it? Is that I know I'm not going to get into the argument with you guys about superhero films and this kind of everything else, but there is an element of truth to that. You know, the number of those films that are franchised, the number of those films that are taking up all of that space, but also the sickening level of profit that comes with those films as well. As, as an industry, it doesn't need, or it can utilise that money in a far better way to help cinema. It can utilise that money to fund. If you look at the Netflix model, the Netflix model is totally different. The money that's made from Bird Box or whatever it is, is actually going into them spending money on independent films. So I'm not seeing that happening in the same way with cinema. And I really, really wish Ooh, it would happen in the same that's way. That's a really good point. So who's well, in, who's investing in the industry more? The movie industry, the Warner Brothers, the Disney's, or Netflix? I think it's easier for streaming services to invest because they are not hit over the head by the 24-hour press who've got nothing better to do because they have to have a new story about box office receipts because there are no box office receipts. Every single year there is one or two films that is the big story about this is the flop of the year and they just beat it over the head. Netflix don't have to put up with that. Neither do Amazon because they don't release their figures as a standard. They, they did it with Bird Box because they wanted to say, look how good it was. But Netflix and Amazon and, you know, Disney, etc., can actually go away and invest in some independent, interesting film without the fear of oh, look at how little money this film made, you know, and, and being that big story. I don't. I think Disney's in a unique position, though, because it depends... Because it's the leading brand in cinema in the world at the moment with its various franchise. If it overdoes its subscription streaming service, it is going to impact on what it gets from cinema. And I think that's the big danger with Disney in particular, is I think that that's the streaming service that probably can take the most away from cinema. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it will, because like I say, there are those huge, gross, ugly profits it can make from cinema. But if it really, really decides it's not going to work alongside Netflix and wants to try taking them on, then that's a route forward for it. It's already started. It's stopped all its Marvel series on Netflix. Yeah. It's shut them down. I think Disney's big problem is it's currently tied into licensing three to five years with other distributors and stuff like that. So I think its tail is long. If it wants to move that way, it's got a long tail before it'll start owning the rights once again to all of its films on exclusives. They said that they're going to be making a loss on it for the first two to three years because of that. So I think they said that they won't have everything for at least four years because they have licensing agreements with other places. It's quite ominous, really, though, when you look at it, isn't it? Is all of these people are starting to throw up streaming services, you know, Apple, Netflix, Disney, Amazon, throwing money at it. 
we're not seeing the same people setting up cinemas. You know, yeah. we're, we're talking about the same cinema chains as we were talking about 20 years ago at the moment. There is nothing new in that market. There are no new players. No, there are, not at all. So people are not seeing it as being something to invest heavily in. Movie um, Pass tried in the States and was a colossal yeah, failure. And they just don't work. I just think that it's one of those things that cinema just has to i've said it once i'll say it again just has to think about what it's doing we can all see you can go online and you can see what is the strategy for netflix over the next three years they're quite open about it disney will tell you what the strategy is for disney and their streaming service what is the strategy for cinema who could even find it i looked today couldn't find anything that said this is what the strategy and to me you know we've been talking about similar things and analogies it, it kind of feels a bit like the high street it feels like a bit like the high street five years ago where people were saying, well, what are we going to do with it? We're all probably sitting here thinking cinema is something we want to protect. Does that move cinema almost into being like a charity? But there is an argument that Disney streaming could be the saviour of the cinema. I'll follow that through, is that as all the licensing reverts to to Disney for the films that got spread around, so let's say Star Wars, take Star Wars as an example, all the rights finish on TVs so that then only... Disney streaming can show them. So if you want to see them, if you haven't got a hard copy through DVD and Blu-ray, and we don't know how long, much longer that's going to be around, if you haven't got that, the only way to see it is through the streaming service. So you want to see a new one of these films come out, it comes to the cinema, then it will go on there. So it could be that people decide to wait or they'll see it in the cinema. But alongside that, the one thing that Disney are doing are making TV shows that are compatible to those films. So they got something, is it, what's that one? Is it The Mandalorian? Yeah, The Mandalorian. So that sits alongside Star Wars. Now, you'll only be able to watch it on that streaming service, but ultimately, if everything Star Wars related is Disney Channel only, then I think that sets itself up to be extremely successful. But new product going to cinema, again, will be successful because of the way Disney market is streaming. But you talked earlier, and it was really interesting, about something that I would see as being a really archaic structure, which is how long before something comes out on Blu-ray. Yes. Why does that even matter today? Because nobody buys Blu-rays. Except you, Jeff. Except you, Jeff. <laughs> me, me and Christopher Nolan. But no, you yeah. look at it. Blu-ray retail is dying yeah. at the mm-hmm. moment. Why aren't we sitting here saying... How many people go and see films at the cinema six or eight weeks after they've been released? Probably very few. So why isn't, for instance, cinema doing deals with Netflix up front and taking premium off that and saying, actually, the film will launch in the cinema, it'll get eight weeks exclusive in the cinema, and then you'll have it on Netflix? Even if it had one. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how many times is a film at the cinema for more than... If you take aside the comic book films and Star Wars, how many times is a film at the cinema for more than two or three weeks? So shorten the it's, cycle, because that to me is sort of part of the social element of it. Shorten the cycle. A film is not no longer alive for 12 months. It's no longer six months before it comes out on DVD and then six months before it hits Sky off the back of that. Why not shorten the cycle and why not say it's in the cinema for six weeks? then it's on Netflix. And actually, when it's on Netflix, a little bit like Spotify, when someone plays it, because Netflix have got all the play counts, when someone pays it, the cinema distributor gets money for it. But that will kill it stone dead, because people won't go to the cinema. Well, they probably still will for the experience. But the problem there is is that the cinema, the bricks and mortar, isn't the distributor. So you've got a situation where Cineworld, View, Odeon, AMC, all those sort of people, they aren't making money from, you know, even if a distri- the distributor sells the rights to Netflix, that's, you know, Sony and Paramount and those people. So, you know, the actual bricks and mortar cinema isn't going to make money from that deal. Yeah, and... The way cinema makes money is when a film is released, it has a very high percentage of being returned to the distributor, and that percentage decreases over the weeks. So it could be 80% week one down to 20% week five. So what we're saying is to make money, it needs that dead space. It needs the long tail. And that, yeah. that cannot be a good business model. Well, the issue that you've got is that you've got these huge companies, distributors that make films and distribute films who know that the bricks and mortar aspect of actually displaying it isn't that good a bet, so they won't actually own their own cinema chains and show their films in them. They're they're not allowed to. I don't think they are. I think they used to do that, but there are laws against that now. 
But it's certainly in the States. I don't know about the UK. So we're saying that cinema, the bricks and mortar, doesn't make money out of it. So maybe the danger is what stops the distributor making those deals? Well, that's true because... Well, it's true, yeah. They, yeah. they could absolutely do that. So maybe that's and the it, danger to cinema. The other thing we mentioned there is do we think that Blue... I mean, so Blu-ray, I think it was at Samsung that basically said they've made their last Blu-ray player. That's yep. it, it's done. That, that's it. Um, I looked at the stats on this. Blu-ray had like less than 10% of sales. DVD still made up about 50% and the rest was all streaming. Are Disney going to say in four years' time when they've got the rights to everything and everything's on Disney Plus, they, are they, will they bother releasing stuff on DVD and Blu-ray? Because they can just charge you £7 a month or whatever they're going to charge you and you can watch it there whenever you want. It's quite depressing, really, isn't it? What we're saying is <laughs> cinema gets it, that's struggling. Then it goes to Blu-ray, which is stopping selling. And then it goes to Sky, which we're saying is being attacked by the streaming services anyway. Yeah. So yeah. so the whole infrastructure underneath it, it's not just to me, it's not just about the Odeon, it, it's, it's actually that whole infrastructure around it is creaking mm. and it's starting to feel that it isn't using some of the more social elements it could be using off the back of it. So it, it's a long chain piece and it's a very old fashioned long chain piece that you've got there at the moment with dead spots and delays and services that just, uh, to well, me, it's, I, it's actually not pleasant. I completely agree. They don't seem to innovate at all, you know. But then again, we're all cinema nerds. Yeah. And that's the problem. Most people would like to sit down in their own house, not go out in the cold in the winter and just watch, you know, a quality movie. And they can now with Netflix. I cannot keep up with the amount of stuff on my list to watch on Netflix. Again, we can't keep coming back to this point. Where's all the innovation? It's online. It's in the streaming space. Mm -hmm. Cinema, you know, they're still cutting your ticket up. Come on, guys. Oh, yeah, I don't get that. They still tear your ticket. The reason the reason we tore, t- tore tickets 20 years ago is we had to take half the ticket because at the end of the night, we had to stuff them all in a load of envelopes and send them off to head office so they could count up all the stubs that we had. They don't do that now. They have computer systems. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why are you tearing my ticket? Picking up on Graham's point earlier, actually, one of the I did a bit of looking around today on stats for Netflix and strategies and those kind of things. Just see where where they're going. 187 original films currently in production that have been financed by Netflix for the rest of this year. So what they've said is some of those will show, some of them won't. Um, They'll make decisions off the back of that. But there's 187 original films currently in production by them. They've said that they (laughs) see a big growth area for them is rom-com. Um, they see that's a market that they can move into and take quite heavily. Whether that's the right thing or not, I, I don't know, but they are saying, and once again, they're quoting the um, the R-rated piece. They're saying that they think that there's a big growth in the R-rated market. And the thing is, is that's not including all the films where distributors lose their nerve, like Annihilation and any others where they pick them up, you know, an already sort of finished product and put them onto the service as well. And the other thing is that just to beat this drum again, animation for adults, you know, I know we haven't got a proper word for adult orientated animation, but it's the cat adult animation, adult animation. That sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? It does sound rude. But but, you know what I mean? R rated animation. Yeah. Great version of Electra. Yeah. (laughs) That would be brilliant. (laughs) I mean, Love, Death and Robots, for example, was phenomenal. You know, Archer is very rude. How creative was was that Love, Death and and Robots? It was incredibly creative. Yeah. I didn't like them all. No, definitely not. Every single one of them brought something different. Five of them were excellent. But I just want to sort of start bringing this in, and I just want to go around each of you and say one positive and one negative thing you, you see and where we go in. And Phil, I'll start with you. I think the positive is that we're going to see more films. I think we've already said we all like films. Paul just gave the stat about how many films Netflix are producing. That's great. Lots more films for us to watch. The negative, the thing I'm concerned about, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, I think that cinema is going to be about your big giant blockbusters 
And actually, yeah, the, yeah, I agree. the more interesting low-key stuff is going to be on streaming because nobody's going to take that gamble on those things. One of my favourite films this year so far is a film called Blue Jay. And it's not even this year, it's three years old. But Netflix and all the other streaming services, I find quite hard to actually find their films sometimes. I found this Multiplast film. It's three years old. It's on Netflix. It's brilliant. It's black and white. It's a two-hander. It's just talking. There's no way that that's getting up on a cinema screen now, let alone in five years' time. Okay, thank you. Paul, do you a positive and a negative? I think the positive for me I'm already seeing. I would say I am now watching much higher quality yeah. television. Um, we talked about the Bundy documentary, the, you know, the McCann documentary, all of those kind of things. The depth that's being delivered through those is something I'm actually getting used to. So now when I'm seeing things that are an hour and a half on Channel 4, I'm thinking that's not enough. Um, (laughs) I want more. I want this to be six hours. I want this to be eight hours. I want this to be the depth. I want it to be challenging. So so the quality of what I'm seeing, I feel, because I'm someone who loves detail, um, is fantastic. I'm probably watching more films than I've ever watched before through convenience. So I can watch a film if I'm sat in my car waiting for my daughter to come out of somewhere. I can sit and watch a film for an hour and a half. The accessibility is brilliant. So the reason I love streaming is I can watch it on my laptop. I can watch it on my television. I can watch it on my phone. I can watch it on someone else's laptop. I can watch it on someone else's phone. And there's a continuity there. Negative for me is for the first time, I'm actually really, really thinking about the expense of going to the cinema. Yeah, not because it's not because I can't pay the money to go to the cinema. It's because I'm I, for the first time ever I'm starting to compare. Mm. I'm starting to say if I pay six quid for parking and eleven pound to go and watch the ticket and the film is crap, that's three months Netflix subscription. Yeah, um, yeah. to watch that. Now I've never challenged myself that way before because I've loved going to the cinema, but there comes a point you know where you're only going to be taken for so much, and what really starts to hurt is the fact I'm starting to think about that, is that the fact I'm, I'm kind of saying, actually, do you know what? Do I want to do that? You know, how many, how many films have I seen? I mean, we were talking about this recently. How many really great films have I seen this year at the cinema? I've seen an awful lot of very poor films. Mm. Jeff's seen more poor films than me, actually, because every film he seems to review on our chat group is awful. Um, <laughs> But but you you start thinking about these things, don't you? And and actually, because there are more things now you can spend your money on. Yeah. So for me, the positive accessibility. You know, I've seen loads more. I, I actually, a lot of the documentary and a lot of the television stuff I've seen will actually stay with me. Things like Roma, for instance. Roma is a film. I know we, we joked about it, and you found it boring. Roma is a film I'll probably remember in twenty years' time. Now that's a really unusual situation because of the quality of what's being produced. I'm going to go back and give it another go. Yeah, the, and, and the documentaries, you know, you go outside and, and, and those documentaries are, are the things that people are talking about. You know, how many people recently have said, have you seen the McCann documentary or yeah. have you seen the Bundy documentary? Have you seen the... You know, these are, these are things, they're up there with Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. In terms of where you're getting on these things. Not seeing that quite so much. I'm not hearing people at the moment so much with some of the cinema films saying, have you seen? yeah. Yeah. We've got to get back there, I think. Usually so, so, so for me, accessibility really positive. Yeah, um, and I'd include cinema in that because it's a choice I can make yeah. and go and see stuff at the cinema. Negative, for the first time ever, I'm starting to really question whether I'm getting value for money. Frightening, Graham. I think for me, the positive is that there's more people making films, and I think the little hidden gems will start to come out, you know, so you'll start to think, you'll think, oh, that was really good. I wonder who the director is. Has he done anything else? Oh, he's done two other things. And we'll begin to see, you know, previously we've had the Scorseses, we've had the Spielbergs, but I think it'll be more the little indie guy and you'll go, or or girl, and you'll look at it and go, that's really interesting. I wonder if they've done other things. And I think that's the positive for me. There's more stuff being produced by more people and therefore more things are going to appeal to you and it'll just hit you in that little niche. Oh, I like that. I wonder what else they've done. Again, I'm just getting cheesed off with cinema not 
moving forward. You know, I spent what, 42 years in IT. I'm used to things moving forward at a hell of a pace. And cinema's just stuck there. You know, the, it has not changed in 20 years. And I want them to do th- smart things. I want them to segment their user base and have just, hey, if you come in at 11 o'clock on a Saturday to screen four, we're doing these three films. Just drop in any time you want and pick one up. Or uh, we're doing uh, all day. Spot on, Graham, as well. And I think that's even more evident now because everything around it is moving much quicker. Yeah, absolutely. And they're just stuck on their still ripping tickets. I mean, it, it is a metaphor for yeah. their own demise. That, that is a very scary thing, Phil, that was. <laughs> OK, Neil. Obviously, Good Things is uh, more available. Bad thing is that you've got to try and search around so many places to find it. It used to be all films were in the cinema, but uh, hopefully somebody will come up with a, a version that will say, you know, this is access to everything. Um, I think a downside will be cinemas will become more for niche stuff, um, and blockbusters, and that's it. And that's and that means most of the small ones will go. It'll be Cineworld. It'll be it won't, probably won't even be View. Will it, View's not that big, is it? No, it's not that big. But it has it, it, of them all. And Phil, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's the one with the most intriguing pricing models. It's got a controversial pricing model because if you go to somewhere like West of Wales and what have you, or I think it's Carmarthen. I think you one of the. I think you've spoken to Tristan, the guy. Yeah, Tristan um, said about this. Used to be a projectionist. Um, because of the way that they price, they actually like scale their pricing based on you know how far away you are from other cinemas and how available this film is. So I think Tristan was saying he he could drive to Cardiff and watch a film and drive back and it would be cheaper than going to his local cinema. They have an interesting idea of how to scale their films but whether or not it works for everyone and this again it comes back to what we were saying what i said earlier about you know if you live in cornwall in the west of wales you know as long as you've got a pretty oh you know it doesn't even have to be that good broadband because no, it doesn't does it no um you know you can download stuff as opposed to having to find your nearest local cinema and pay you know a huge price okay Actually, I'm just listening to all of the comments as well, is that I think the frustration for me and adding to what I've said earlier is, I guess, is is I don't think this is a lost battle. I actually think if cinema got its head together, upped its game, started innovating, what's wrong, for instance, with cinemas having a Netflix screen, you know, where you can go in and watch Netflix well, that's movies? A, that's a possibility. Why yeah. do I get free cinema tickets from my mobile phone company but not from a cinema. <laughs> very um, good. You know, why don't they have loyalty point, systems yeah. off the back of, you know, use the data that they're capturing and all those. I don't think it's a lost battle. I just yeah. think they have to get up off their asses. Yeah. I think there are all sorts of solutions that are on the table for cinema. But for them, I mean, the unlimited card, which works in this country and has failed spectacularly in the United States for whatever reason, is a, a big invention. But you you are right. I mean, everybody's right here. It's, and there's no planning. I mean, it's like watching Brexit unfold, and I know, I'm sorry to bring it in again, but it is, there's no plan. That's the thing is, they know these things. You guys, at the start of every podcast, tell us what films interest you most. Yeah, yeah. Your cinema should know that. Yes. Your cinema should be using that to make it attractive to you. That's the first stage in sort of social engineering in terms of what they're doing. Social pricing, using their data, you know, giving people what they want off the back of it. It's... It's just not there. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll see on that. Now, I'll just come in with my um, positive and minus. The positive, as been said many times here, the quality is really good, and it's up to at and the I, moment. I think with for television, we are in, and I've said this to you, Graham, second, golden, second age. golden age of TV. The first being the 1950s when it was new, and particularly in America, it was very innovative, loads of live TV, and then they become formula and almost killed themselves. But now you've got, I mean, the whole world, okay, we're recording today when the Game of Thrones is about to be unleashed in its final season, and everybody's talking about it. It's going to be millions, if not over a billion, are going to be watching this over the next couple of weeks. Um, so, so I find that incredible. And the quality you know is going to be good. 
I just want to look at something different that, that does concern me on this, is that both Netflix, Amazon Prime, and to a certain extent, Sky Movies, for however long that's going to be around, they don't show old films. If it's over 20 years old and they're shown on there, there's very, very few of those. And but, it- interesting, just picking you up on that, they have the ability to. Yes. And that's the thing, is is that... It, it's on request. So the way that uh, the Netflix learning engine works is if you search for something and it's, and not, it's not there, yeah. it goes up their list of things. So if I search for Some Like It Hot has gone on there, if I search for Some Like It Hot and it's not there, a little bell rings in Netflix and they say people are looking for it. Yeah, but if it's only one or two people as opposed to... Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, with yeah. it. But what I'm saying is they can if yeah, the demand they, is there. Okay, they have the facility to do it, but these things are going to go to one side... And these things have, you know, we're losing films every year that you can't get back, that you haven't upgraded. You know, there's stuff from the 70s and 80s that's now disappeared, and it's really worrying that we could lose some of our culture. So yeah. that that would be, for me, one of, one of the big problems. I mean, I'm quite pleased to see services on TV like Talking Pictures, which shows older films, but these are few and far between. And the big guys that's something that cinemas could do. You think about it, like we're talking about cinemas innovating and what have you. Then, you know, what's wrong with them doing? And, and I know little art house cinemas do this, but what's wrong with big cinema chains saying, "I'm going to do John Ford season"? Or, yeah, you know, and that's yeah. the innovation they need to do, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and 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 that's what. Yeah, you're right. Art cinemas and and festivals do that. And that's fine at the moment because the product is there. It's there available on DVD and Blu-ray. If you haven't got it anywhere else, you can license that. But as we've said here, DVD and Blu-ray are disappearing. Where are they going to get them from then? Well, who, who buys a DVD or Blu-ray player anymore? <laughs> when you're, seriously, when your current one breaks, you'll struggle to replace it. Yes, yeah, certainly with Blu-ray players, you will. Netflix is not going away. Disney's no. streaming service is not going away. Amazon is not going away. These guys and Apple are not going away. These guys are not going to let these go. The only one that's in danger of going away at the moment is the one we all want to keep. Um, and so for me, almost and well, everything I'm hearing tonight, for me, it's almost like a plea. It's almost yeah. like, come on, guys, you know, Get your act together. sort it out. But do you think we are going to end up like steam train enthusiasts? Is that is that our future? <laughs> oh, I like steam trains. I don't like these diesels. Well, I'm sorry, mate. You know? <laughs> well, I think you will see a rise in more and more film societies and little mini festivals yeah. because that is a way that you would celebrate this. And they're more popular than ever at the moment. Yeah, yeah and, and once again, the analogy with the music industry is vinyl. You know, is the demise of things like CDs and stuff like that brought the enthusiasts back out and actually brought them back to something they loved. That may well be the same with, with you know, the, the kind of old films that you're talking about, I guess, Jeff. Possibly. What I was going to say was, uh, a guy I used to work with who is still in his 20s, I believe, when I used to talk to him about, so obviously I go to the cinema twice a week generally, something like that, and he always used to just be like, I can't believe you do that. Why would you bother going out? If cinemas showed films when I wanted to watch them, like whenever I felt like watching them, I'd go. Because his whole attitude was, I can watch a streaming service on my time. I don't have to look at a website and or you know paper or what have you and go, oh, it's only showing at 6.45 and 9.20. That doesn't suit me. And that fits, Phil, as well. I mean, when do you shop? Now you shop when you want to. You know, you don't shop now between 9.30 and 5.30 on any given day. So, you know, that's a natural space, isn't it? I miss the days like in the 70s when... Your golden document of the year would be your Christmas radio and TV times. <laughs> Two separate documents because you didn't have them all together. And a marker pen. And a marker pen. You'd go yeah. through it. And if you, you didn't say watch the 70s, it. But I'm, I was born in 81. Yeah, we don't and, need to hear that. No. <laughs> I recall you had your TV times and your radio times, and you'd fold them into each other on the particular day. And so that when you opened them up, they were, they were both like the right. Yeah, because so, one was BBC and one was ITV and Channel Four, wasn't it? Absolutely. So, but yeah, and and if you missed it, you missed it. If we come back in ten years' time and we're saying cinema tickets, and people say to us, "What's a cinema ticket?" We know this has all gone wrong. They'll probably still be ripping them in half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, guys. Yeah, I think that's um, 
a really interesting debate. And I think it's something, as I said, it's our main theme for the year. So we are going to be coming back for this later in the year, particularly when we get more information on what Disney are doing and how Netflix works with its big releases. I want to see track the Irishman, see if it is going to go into a number of cinemas. And uh, let's do a wrap up on this later in the year and see if any of the, what we predicted comes true. Guys, it's been brilliant. And I look forward to talking on this again with you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you.